Curry looking to help. Tatum on the drive, kicks it out. Smart corner three. I think uh, what we've both been looking forward to now is a little Bruins discussion. Bruce Cassidy yeah. gets the boot. Uh, what was that, Monday? Yeah, four, four zeros on this one. Go ahead. Yeah. So, to me, I have a couple issues with it. Episode 61 of Clubhouse Combos. It's your host, Colin Scully. Uh, I believe I was absent for last week's pod. Um, joined today by my good friend, Evan Mullings. A little, uh, it seems like our audio is just slightly off. I, one of us is a little delayed, I think. Yes, it's like tape delay. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> us two today. No Dan, no Newman. So you'll have to bear with us with the little delay here. There'll be some pauses Throughout the episode, I'm sure we'll take out the big, big ones. But yeah. and um, real quick, I think your Wi-Fi is just ass, Colin. I think it's just your bedroom is incompetent from the same Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi seems fine right now. Okay. Well, it, it, historically, it's not very good. No, historically, it's piss poor. Yeah. I mean, it, you could compare it to perhaps, <laughs> perhaps the Detroit Pistons. You could compare it to piss poor. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's that, and then your your Wi-Fi up at school as well. I mean, just it, it tends to follow you wherever you are. It's literally like a, a, a which is worse, like my Wi-Fi at school or my Wi-Fi at home. I mean, at home, I can fucking at least get on to an internet server to play video games at school. Forget it. I know. I know. That's why at school, we just we, we can never play. It it's putrid. It's putrid. Uh, I'm thinking about getting an extender. My dad mentioned getting an extender and trying to do that in the uh, apartment this year to maybe boost it. I mean, I feel like extenders don't really work is what I've kind of come to figure out. The extender at my house works great. The one that we had at uh, my old house, it, it would like it was in my bedroom and you try to connect to it, but then you'd somehow get disconnected from it. You connect to the main Wi-Fi, which didn't work. So it's like you could never really know which Wi-Fi you were on. It's just such a bitch. Lately at home, my phone, like every time I turn it off, is on LTE, and then it just like reconnects when I turn my phone on. It's very weird. It's probably because uh, your two sisters are just all over the internet. Dude, they've got the Roku's going, the phones going, fucking everything. Yeah. It's it's yeah, ridiculous. Have, yeah, you know that they're not putting their phones down either, so it, it's, no. it's constant. It's uh, it's melted in their hands, I believe. <laughs> Ripping it out. Should we talk uh, some sports here? Yeah, enough with the Wi-Fi BS. Uh, let's let's start with some power rankings. Let me pull them up from the Instagram. No Dan to provide a nice uh, nice Excel spreadsheet that sorts it all out for us. But at number one, we have New York Yankees, followed by the New York Mets. Three uh, Dodgers dropping two spots from one down to three. They are third. Houston Astros four. San Diego Padres round out the top five. Brewers at 6. Cardinals, our biggest mover, jumping from 11 to 7 this week. Toronto Blue Jays, 8. Minnesota Twins, 9. Tampa Bay Rays, 10. 
And then our 11 and 12 San Francisco Giants and Atlanta Braves, who are were not ranked as of last week. Who fell out? Um, Angels, probably. Yes. Yep. What did you have, personally? I'm interested. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I think we, we can go through our individual ones. Um, number one, Yankees. Two Mets. Or, here, why don't we just name, go, do yeah, that yeah. in front of you? Yep. All right, who's your one? Yankees. Yep. Two? Mets. Yep. Three? Dodgers. Yep. Four? Brewers. Okay, I had Astros four. Okay. Five? Who's your five? I have Astros. Okay, I had Cardinals five. I know you're high on the Cardinals. My second straight week having them at five. Uh, six? San Diego. Yep. I had Padres six. Seven? I have St. Louis here. Blue Jays eight? Twins. I have Twins as well. Nine? Blue Jays. Okay, I have Brewers ten? Rays. Yep. And then 11? Braves. I had Red Sox. Twelve. Giants. I had Braves. Um, so I guess my first point, um, I'll go right into the Brewers. You look at this team, number one, I'm not a fan of the starting pitching right now. Corbin Burns, obviously we know how elite he is, but Brandon Woodruff is on the I.L. Ray Peralta's done for a while, so two out of the big three in the rotation are missing. Yeah, Ashby's coming and pitched well, but again, he's not he's not those two guys. And the hitting is just uh, – to me, I look at that lineup and I'm just not blown away by anybody. Uh, you can make the argument for Yelich, but it's a lineup that I don't really feel – Yelich is hitting, what, 250? I think around there. Yeah, big yeah, and scary. To me, it's just like there's, no, like there's no one name in that lineup. Like You compare that lineup, say, to the Cardinals where it's like Arenado, Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman when there's a righty on the mound. Tommy Edmond, Harrison Bader, like up and down, it's it really is an elite lineup compared to the Brewers where, mm, I don't know. Um, I don't know, you had them at four, I guess. I, the bullpen's great. Bullpen is great. And to me, the Brewers seem to just win games. Like, it's a weak division to begin with. Um, But I hear your Cardinals argument. My thing is, they're starting pitching – from year to year, like Wainwright, Mikolas, um, even like Gallegos and Reyes now, guys like that that have been around for a few years now, some years they're great, other years they're fucking terrible. Right now, they're playing great, but I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden things went south. Uh, you did forget to mention Tyler O'Neill, who returned last night with a uh, three-run bomb. Yep. Lost that game though. Yep. Nice to um, have him back on my team. They're losing right now too. Two to one mid eighth to Tampa. Tampa? Yeah. Yeah. I mean McClanahan on the hill, he's gotta be in the Cy Young discussion. He's gross. Um kind of looking at these other ones. I was watching a little bit of the Padres Mets game last night, uh kind of flipping in between Celtics, Red Sox and them. That was on MLB network and Dominaya really impressed me. Uh I know the Mets lineup wasn't at full strength. They were missing, I believe, when uh, Marte last night. And mm-hmm. um, there's question marks with Pete Alonso, but McNeil was out last night too. Yeah, exactly. So, and I look at this Padres rotation. Like to me, that's the reason they are a top 
six team for both of us. Uh, I mean, up and down, they just get good quality starting pitching, no matter who it is. I believe Shamanaya, uh, there was a stat with like, I believe two outs, um, like guys are hitting less than 100 off of them. Like he's been dominant and, and he shut down the Mets last night. And just the starting pitching for the Padres all year has been great, no matter who it's been. And it's really made up. That and then Manny Machado's really made up for the loss of Tatis, and I think that's kind of why they're in the spot that they're in right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I remember you saying they wouldn't make the playoffs and the Giants would be better than them, and my argument was the starting pitching. I mean, we listed six those six starters, Musgrove, Darvish, Clevenger, um, Manaya. Who am I forgetting? There's two more. Um... That's a look. I'm spacing, Regardless, but... um, they have been fantastic, and, and they're, you know, the Giants have somewhat kept pace. But I mean, San Diego's what two, three games behind the Dodgers. Yep. I mean, they're keeping pace. Um, yeah, they're a game and a half back. The Giants are five and a half back. Um, oh, I mean, we forgot Mackenzie Gore, who's been unbelievable. Yep. And then Snell, Musgrove, you Darvish. Snell. Manaya, Clevenger, yeah. Yeah, Snell was the name I forgot. But yeah, I think uh I think they're really good this year and getting Tatis back is gonna be huge for them. Looking at the standings, uh Braves have won seven in a row, eight and two in they're the hot. last ten, they're above five hundred. Did you see that stat? The Pirates, like not against the Dodgers. I think they're 0 six against the Dodgers. And they're I think like, it was Brewers, yeah. They're like 22 and 20 against everyone else. Like, they're a decent team right now. Bednar has been great for them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the Angels, man. Lost 14 Mm -hmm. in a row. Fired Joe Madden. Um, Did you guys talk about this last week? Oh, we didn't really touch on it, no. The Joe Madden news was after we had recorded the last one. We talked a little Girardi, but not much. I was going to ask about Girardi, too. Yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Madden getting the, the hook? Uh, I mean, I understand it because you look at it, you lose 13 games and 14 now, and you feel like someone has to be held accountable. And when they were hot, I mean, we were we would talk about their, their kind of top six of the lineup that they had. And it was obviously when Taylor Ward was healthy and Mike Trout was in there and uh, Anthony Rendon was healthy, and Brandon Marsh was hitting well against righties, and uh, Jared Walsh was abusing right-handed pitching as well. So it was kind of their top five, six in the lineup that were doing a lot of the damage. Their bottom three, eh. but now when you see the injury to Ward that's put him on the on the IL, you look at Mike back Trout, tonight. Well, he does come back tonight. Okay, so that that's going to be big for them. But again, losing Ward hurt because he, to me, was their spark early on. Um, where it was like, yeah, Otani and Trout have been here for a few years now, but you were waiting for somebody else to step up. And to me, Taylor Ward kind of took over that star role. And then once he got injured, I feel like is when it went south. Kind of when you use your, uh, when you lose your firecracker, you're in a lot of trouble because that, then it felt like just the same old Angels where it's Walsh and Otani and Trout and then just nothing else. I mean, Otani's hitting two thirty in his last last month. Yeah, Five see, bombs, they're gonna need but... they're gonna need more from him. But again, it felt like they they ran into some tough series. I think the one against the Yankees hurt them a lot, and so 
now you have a new manager in there, new interim, interim manager. So was the call to fire Madden right? Probably. I feel like you have to do something at this point. But, I mean, it was 14 in a row. I mean, that's something. Yeah. I mean, Marsh, 239, zero home runs in the last month. Walsh, 235, four home runs in the last month. Even Ward, before he went uh, went down, uh, two, I guess 291, four homers. So he's been playing well when healthy, but. He was there. He was there. Like fire starter, yeah. I mean, hitting them lead off and ability to get on base was unbelievable. And then you followed that up with with Trout and Otani and Walsh and Rendon. And now guys are getting injured and the starting pitching's falling off a little bit. So and it's been tough for them. Talk to me about the Sox, number eleven for you. Yeah, they've won, I believe, nineteen of their last like twenty-seven or something like that. Uh, seven in a row. You, you look at the game last night. I mean, the bullpen's figuring itself out. You go Matt Strom for the save, which I liked. Got the job done. You get five more shutout in, innings from Avaldi. I think he's only given up two or three runs in his last three starts. He's got three wins tw- north of 20 innings. So the pitching's been great. We saw Waka. I think – and they're starting pitching if I, I'm going off the top of my head. It's been like the fourth best in baseball all year. It's and been phenomenal. 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 Pavetta's giving you really good innings. Uh, in the lineup, again, I'd say lately it's been the pitching that's impressed me. When you look back a little bit ago, it was kind of Trevor Story and the bats that were doing so well. But in the last few weeks, in the last couple of weeks, it feels like it's been the rotation. So it felt like they couldn't get anything going earlier on in the year. But now it's like the bats have started to pick it up. Now the rotation's been great and the bullpen's getting better. And We've now there's three games over 500, and you know this team will certainly, in my opinion, make the playoffs. Um, I, th- I like the track that they're on. And Pavetta's last month, 35 innings, five wins, 29 Ks, a 1.54, and a .71. He had a couple duds to begin the year, but he's been fantastic since. Garrett Whitlock is a bit of a concern for me lately. I think he really needs to go back to the pen. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, you know, he, to me, he's a one-inning guy. I think put him on the back end, have him close. That, to me, is where you're going to get the most out of him. But, again, because what are they looking like in, in the rotation right now? They got Waka, they got Pavetta, they got uh, Avaldi, Rich Hill still, and then yeah. who else? Whitlock is five. Whitlock. So, do they have anybody that you could throw in there instead of how? But like how? I'm I'm not too big on t- uh, on Hauk, honestly. I, I haven't been big on him in relief. I don't know what his stats are, Colin. If you want to look, at, look those up, but yeah. Oh, I was going to read this tweet quickly. Uh, Newman sent this yesterday. Thirty nine innings as a starter. Whitlock four one five, nine and two thirds as a reliever at point nine three ERA. Mm-hmm. So he's. I think he's far better in the pen anyways. We've had this discussion. Like, you don't get your best stuff when you throw 90 pitches. Um, Hauk, in the last month, 17 innings, two wins, 15 Ks, 0.53, And put him back in rotation. Right, and you look at him, I mean, he's still got a 3.54 ERA, so I think that goes to show kind of what he was earlier on in the beginning of the year. To have those impressive numbers in the last 17 innings when he's only thrown 40, you can only imagine what he did in those 23 innings prior to where 
it, yeah. he was struggling. So now that he's hot, I think put him in the rotation. I'm with you, Colin. If you're pitching that well over the last month, why not? And um, I agree. I'm sure he's pitching with confidence too. And, and get Whitlock, who I think would be more confident in a different role. You just got to put guys in the right situations. And I think having Whitlock close and having Houck in the rotation right now, based on their performances, is the right call. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, let's bounce over to basketball with some breaking news. Steph has just said he will play game four. Um, Celtics up 2-1 with the 116-100 victory last night in Boston. Now, I haven't gotten a chance to watch any of these games because they start so fucking late. I'm basically asleep, so I can get up for work the next day. Um, so do you want to fill me in a little bit? Yeah, so game one, uh, as I'm sure you heard, they won. Yeah. And um, they were down double digits, I believe, heading into the fourth quarter, and then they just started making everything. I sent a tweet, and I talked about it last time, but it, it, to me it was the best quarter I've ever seen them play in like the last few years, and they picked a good one. I mean, they were just hitting three after three in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, game two, a little bit of a different story. Again, the, both stars got hot early. Both had double digits, I believe, in the first quarter. And then uh, they just kind of get the role players involved as much, and the Warriors played really well. Uh, Jordan Poole was impressive. Curry was impressive again, especially in that third quarter. And after game two, the Warriors were winning quarters against the Celtics Seven out of eight, they had been kind of the better better team. If you look at that fourth quarter of game one, that was really the only quarter that the Celtics had been that impressive. So they stole that game one, which was huge. And then you look at the game last night, I mean, um, a, bi- a big win. I think they fed off the crowd energy. I thought the crowd was impressive. Um, and Jason Tatum's – and here's the thing. When we look at our previous discussions about Jason Tatum, it was like – we weren't loving how him and Brown were playing because they were – it felt like that they were playing for themselves. Like they were not taking a lead, playmaking, passing the basketball. It felt like they were just kind of doing it themselves. It felt like when they were both out there, it was just kind of like – it was either the Tatum-Brown show. Like they, they just didn't work well together because it felt like they were kind of playing their own games. But now, for me, it's Tatum and his ball movement and, and his assisting has been so impressive. He's – kicking out the ball early and often, which I think gives them the best chance to win, the chance to win. Um, and to me, the only, like the Warriors' only chance to win this series, and I said um, in, in the predictions, I said Celtics game one, Warriors game two, Celtics game um, and, and to me, the Celtics are going to win this series. Um, they're going to win the NBA championship because to me, in, in watching these games, there's two, there's two things here. One, if the Celtics can limit their turnovers – there's no chance Golden State can beat them. Uh, they beat themselves a lot in game two by turning over the basketball. Um, and then all the Celtics have to defend is that high screen and roll. And Yudoka was getting on his team last night. Like, if you're getting picked to set up Curry and Thompson off the screen, like, that big man has to be up. And if and there were times last night where Horford and Williams were struggling to get up on that three-point shot, and Curry and Thompson were draining them, but if if they can make that adjustment consistently, that takes away a huge part of the Warriors' offense. And, again, you look at Curry, Thompson, and then, to me, Jordan Poole is kind of turning into a, a real star, budding star. But it's like he can't be out on the floor with those other two guys. So it's yeah. like 
it's been tough. And Draymond is kind of killing them. Kevin Looney, I did not really show up last night. So it's been my take. I think the Celtics are going to win the series. I mean, we both had that. And it will be seven. I don't know. I'd hope it's less, but six or seven. Yeah, Celtics are winning the series. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I'm seeing, you know, post game, in between games, is all this Draymond Green talk. You want to touch upon that a little bit? I, I think the guy's a fucking jerk off. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so Draymond Green is now public enemy number one in Boston. Um, a lot of trash talk on the court. You go back to game two when it really started. Um, there have been talk about you know he, he had called out Grant Williams for saying that he looked up to him, but then on the court was saying something different. So that happened, and then he's just yelling at players, trash talking. Got tried to pull Jalen Brown's pants down in game yeah. two. Unbelievable. And then he kind of rolls over and kicks him. Like, just talks so much trash. He had been, in my opinion, he's been dirty. Uh, you look back even to game one, it's just, he's been just an asshole. He's been an asshole. And then you, you show up last night and you get two points, like three assists, four boards in 34 minutes. He did nothing last night. And uh, the crowd was on him. I mean, just the. Uh, I mean, he's you know. been a non factor all series. Not to interrupt you here, but first game, four points, 11 boards, five assists, two of 12 shooting, 0 for 4 from 3, 0 for 3 at the line. Game two, nine points, five boards, seven assists, two of three shooting, 0 for 1 from deep, five of seven from the free throw line. So, fucking five of his nine points come at the line. And then last night, what'd you say he had? Two points, two points, four boards, three assists, one of four shooting. I got dude's a non-factor. He sucks. No, because he can't shoot the ball. So when he's on there, every time he gets the ball, he looks to give it right up. And to me, you can't have, imagine the Celtics had that. Like, freaking Rob Will has his role. Yeah, he can't shoot, but he gets in the paint. Like, imagine Horford, like, just gets the ball and passes it, like, in today's league, you you need big men that can feel confident shooting. And yeah, that's the play. thing about Draymond is he's not a big man. He's really like a stretch four. He's not a center. No, I agree with you. I agree with you there. And so he's kind of killing them. He, I, he's killed them, and I think he's given the Celtics and the Celtics fans like another target. It was Kyrie in the first series, and I think it just riles everybody up, and you can feel the energy kind of shift and. Whenever he's out there. So I think it's good when he's out there for the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I do think Celtics win the series. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to watch some of the game at some point. Yeah. Do you, Dude, even my still... dad's been watching. Are you still sticking with seven? Um, seven? I don't know. Six doesn't sound awful. No. Because I can't see them losing two more games. No. I mean, the Warriors have to win, what, three out of four now? Yeah. No, yeah. That, I mean, that's going to be tough. You think – I mean, they'll be good at home, I'm sure. Celtics got to defend home court. But, again, you look at it, and the Celtics are seven <laughs> after in the playoffs. Like, that's, that's like that's championship basketball. Yeah. That's how you win the uh, another cool stat I just saw when I was uh, looking at some stats. Let's see if I can just fucking disappear. Uh, since January 8th, regular season, postseason, when the Celtics score 103 or more points, they're 41-9. and nine. When they score 102 or less, they're 6-8. and eight. 
Well, I think that speaks more to the defense than uh, the offense, obviously. But, I mean, defense went spectacular. You hold the Warriors 100 points, you should be very happy. Mm. <laughs> uh, hockey? <clears throat> I'm sure we'll have a lot to say here. Yeah. Um, Tampa Bay, New York tied at two. Tampa's won game three and four now, um, both at home. I would expect the Rangers to bounce back here, win game five. We both had them in seven, right? Yep. Yeah. I still feel confident about that. Um, Again, I haven't seen much of these games. I'm sure Newman would be great for this discussion. But, yeah. That's it. Um, I haven't watched a ton. I did see Palat had a huge goal with like 40 seconds left in game three, which kind of (laughs) sunk the Rangers there. It, and the Rangers, I believe, had a 2 nothing lead in that game, too. So it's like, talk about a blown opportunity. Could, could have gone up 3-0. You don't. You, you give Tampa life at home. And then Tampa comes back and wins game four. So, um, you know, it's it's on the Rangers for giving Tampa life because you can't give Tampa anything. Uh, yeah, and they won now, game four, 4-1. 4-1, yeah, see, okay, so. It's going to be tough. Like now, you got Vasilevsky back engaged, and to me, that's that's tough because you go from could have been three zero to now two two, and you know that's just not going to be how you win. You got to play well late in games, and to give up that goal, the plot was killer, killer. Yeah, and I'm going to be thinking about it if they lose the series. I think uh, what we both been looking forward to now is a little Bruins discussion. Bruce Cassidy gets the boot. Uh, what was that, Monday? Yeah, four, four zeros on this one. Go ahead. Yeah. So, to me, I have a couple issues with it. Number one, the report today that came out, uh, Bruce said, you know, two weeks ago he was told his job was safe, then gets canned on Monday. He's already spoken to a number of teams about coaching next year, so I'd expect him to get a job relatively soon. Uh, I think mm-hmm. every NHL team, besides, you know, the ones left, uh, should be interested in hiring him. Uh, great coach, I think. And to me, like, yeah, the Bruins fell short this year. They lost in seven in the first round. That sucked. But no McAvoy, no Lindholm. Uh, you missed – who did we lose on offense for a couple of games? Spacing. I'm spacing on it. Uh, but you deal with the Olmark and Swayman swap, which I think was the right move to swap – after game two, um, you, you miss Carlo for a game. That was the other one. Grizzlick was so bad, he was a healthy scratch. I mean, you think about this team that Don Sweeney built. Like, this is supposed to be a strong back end. <laughs> this is supposed to be a strong back end, a top five defense in all five years Cassidy was head coach. You lose McAvoy and Lindholm. All of a sudden, your top pair is fucking Brandon Carlo and Mike Riley with Forbert, Clifton, and then fucking Brown and Grizzlick as your other two in some sort of pairings there. Um, that's not going to win you playoff hockey games, especially against Carolina, whose game is to take it to the net and score dirty goals. And that's what they did all series long. There was nobody to clear out the front. Uh, There's no defensive depth. There was no fucking offensive depth. Uh, the third line went silent. They didn't, I don't think they scored a goal. Uh, besides Coyle's goal on that shorthanded bid with the Brusque, 
who also fell off towards the end of the year. He disappeared. Uh, Trent Frederick was such a hindrance to the team. He was a healthy scratch. I thought the fourth line was phenomenal, and that was only because it took Cassidy fucking 70 games to figure out what the last three guys should be. And then he scratched Wagner, which I didn't like. I wouldn't have scratched Wagner. Um, but I, I just don't think the blame falls on Cassidy. I mean, he's got a 670 win percentage as a head coach. It's Sweeney's fault for no depth. This team has had no fucking depth. No matter what he does at the deadline, it always fails. Uh, I love the Lindholm deal. I did. But that was all he did. Where was the offense? At, at that point in the season, we needed offensive depth. Eric Hall is not a second-line center. He played great towards the end of the year on that line, but he's, that's just not the role for him. He should be on the third line. Um, you know, you you have not found a true winger to play with Bergeron and Marchand outside of Pasta, who's now required to play with Hall because he's so incompetent by himself, he can't drive a line. So thanks for the $6 million there for the next three years, Don. You fucking moron. I think I mean name one draft pick Sweeney's hit on. You can't. Well, that's that's the problem. They're I, pathetic. There's no building from within. No, real quick. You look at. I remember the draft <laughs> where they were three picks in a row. I mean, yeah. There's like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Yep. And you, they don't take any good player. And then you look at. I believe that was Sweeney's first draft. Then you look at who went after. I believe Kyle Connor and Matt Barzell. And the, the list goes on and on of players that were drafted after like three times in a row. Three times in a row. Even Anthony Bovillier, who crushed us in the playoffs last year. So, um, I'll go back to you. I don't know if you had anything else, but. I mean, to me, I don't know what's – obviously, we don't know what's going on in the front office, but the blame here should fall – I'd say 80% on Sweeney, 20% on Cassidy. Yeah, you didn't get your guys up. They were a no-show in Game 7. Once Carolina scored that first goal, it was over. But I don't see how Sweeney's lack of doing a good job could cause Cassidy to lose his job. I mean, this guy's fucking been a Jack Adams candidate for the last five years. And he won one. He's been phenomenal. He's done nothing but win. We went to the Cup in 2019. Came up one game short. If Nolachari didn't get called for that, or if it was called tripping, I bet we win game six. There is no game seven. And Boston goes on to win that cup. Uh, and I don't think we're having this conversation then. So I think Bruce Cassidy's a hell of a coach. I hope he lands in a good spot, gets a good job. I'd love to see him go win one. Uh, fucked on Sweeney. I think he's the guy that should have been gone. But instead we're going to extend him and, and have another five years of shit draft picks. So by the time we're out of college and, you know, hanging around our apartments and whatnot, we won't even want to watch the Bruins because they'll be fucking garbage. Oh, and and this news about Posternock not wanting to come back after what Don Sweeney's done, which is just great. I know. Imagine we lose Posternock. <laughs> um, all right, I'll go. Um, well, real quick on the Posternock news, I did see something uh, today. Uh, from Elliot Friedman, reached out to Agent J.P. Barry, who spoke today with Pasternak and GM Don Sweeney, and the plan is for everyone to sit down in early July to discuss a new extension. Barry says it's premature to jump to conclusions beforehand. So some hope in the Pasternak talk. Too. Hopefully that bodes well. 
uh, and hopefully soon you can have a good discussion. But my first point to you, Colin, is you're, you're, you're not placing blame on one guy who I think should be blamed. Um, I mean, Cam Neely, right? Cam Neely yeah, should absolutely. be because he was the guy who, uh, A, hired Don Sweeney in the first place, and B, made the decision to keep Sweeney. He had the option to replace him. Let's not pretend like Don Sweeney doesn't run the show in Boston. It's Cam Neely. Cam Neely had the opportunity to say, all right, Don Sweeney, you're out. And he passed on that. And he pretty much said, all right, and I'm sure the two met to discuss Bruce Cassidy. To me, it felt like Bruce Cassidy and Don Sweeney were never on the same page. Uh, it just felt they were disconnected in some way. Uh, you look at some of these other teams, and, and it feels like everybody is on the same page. Go ahead. I'd jump in real quick, and I'd say they probably weren't on the same page because Sweeney never went out and did something that Cassidy wanted. I mean, you think about the year we got Rick Nash, right? That team was desperate for a second-line winger, and we go and get 39-year-old Rick Nash who had, like, 12 points on the year. Moves like that, like, like Lee Stefaniak. Lee Stefaniak's going to solve all our problems. No, dude, he's a healthy scratch at best if he's not in the AHL. I mean, moves like that. Jared Tenorti last year. Like, we needed more defensive help than Jared Tenorti. As good as he played in his 12, 13 minutes a night, we needed something better than that, and Sweeney never delivered on anything. Um... Yeah, and you could honestly make the argument, and I know we had debates on this podcast, but, like, now you go dump, and, and he's been a good fit, but you go, he dumped last year $5.5 million on Allmark when we had Swayman. And I know we debated on this podcast. I said last, I believe earlier this year, you and Newman, when Swayman wasn't playing well, you guys were like, all right, send him down. I was like, no, keep him up. Keep him up. And I remember that was a, a heated debate that we had. And um, to me, that's why, like, I wonder why he spent five and a half million on a goalie for four years when you ha- you have this guy who took over in the playoffs as your starter. Like that's another questionable move. And you can look at Eric Halla, who again you, you touched on Colin, he's not anything too great. Like Nick Foligno, like these are guys who are just kind of like past their primes. I mean, Eric Howell was a great skater with the Wild and and was competitive with Vegas, and then kind of after that, he'd, he'd fallen off a little bit. Yeah, I think he had a great second half of the year. He drove that second yeah, line was, for a while. It was in part of the line that they put him on, and then when you're in the playoffs against good teams with good depth and good second-line centers, it's a tough matchup for Eric Hall. Yeah. Um, he's not an elite center. Because most of the playoff teams, you look at it down the middle, are, are, are deep. Um and so I don't really know. When I when I heard about the news, I honestly, and I said it to the chat, I was impartial on this. I didn't really care that they fired him. Yeah, he's got great, like a great record and, and all that. But you look at today's NHL, and there's only three coaches that have been with their teams now longer than four years. Bruce was one of them. Uh, Bruce was the fourth. But now it's just Mike Sullivan, John Cooper, and Jared Bednar. And everyone else is less than three years. So this is just how the, the NHL coaching ranks go. And uh, with teams that kind of keep their stars, keep teams, uh, keep players around, um, you're more likely to see more of a rotation with the coaching staff rather than uh, the players. Obviously, the NBA, it's more so like the star players move and the coaches stay. Or, or yeah, the coaches stay. Um so it, it, to me, it was like, all right, maybe they need a new voice, maybe someone to kind of spice things up. It felt like this team kind of had hit their their ceiling. I didn't think that they beat Carolina in the playoffs. 
Um, I did not feel good at all about that series. Even when they push it to seven, I was shocked that they got seven games out of that series. But and that could be a testament to Cassidy. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. we'll see who they bring in. Quickly before we move on here, although we don't have really anything else to talk about, um, I'd say like you know those three names just thrown out throughout: Sullivan, Bednar, Cooper. Obviously, Cooper has cups. Sullivan has cups. Bednar has zero Stanley Cups. This is the first year he's made the Western Conference Finals. He's going to the Cup now. I would have said if they lost in the second round, he's done too. Yeah, maybe. I'd probably agree with you on that. That's I mean, Bruce has more playoff success than him. Easily. In five years. Yeah. And and the <laughs> other side of the coin, to me... Go ahead. That Bruins team, though, in like 20... 20- Nineteen. It was just a different. That's just. It, it was a different team than the one that we have now. No, I agree. Was, it felt different for sure. But the other side of the coin to me is, who do you think? Like, you think there's any coach out there right now that's going to do a better job? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. And and you kind of segued right into this point. And also, after we talk Bruins, I, we should talk some uh, Avalanche. But. Um, uh, so there was uh, I have some odds to be the next Bruins head coach uh, if you want to hear them. Sure. Uh, this is I know from, Jay Leach well, is in there. Yeah. So this is from Bet Online AG. Um, Nate Lehman plus four hundred. He's the Providence College head coach. Barry Trotz is second plus five hundred. Greg Carvel, who is uh, plus five fifty. He's currently the coach at UMass Amherst. Uh, Pete DeBoer, fourth, plus 550. Mark Savard, fifth, plus 700. Dave Tippett and Jeff Blaschel and Jim Montgomery are also plus 700. Travis Green, plus 800. John Tortorella, plus 1,000. And then Mike Babcock and Guy Boucher, plus 1,600. Um, so Is Chris Kelly on there? Chris Kelly's not on this list. Well, Mark Savard is, which I thought was interesting. And then yeah. uh, get in the top two out of the three here, you get Lehman and Carvel, who are uh, college head coaches. So maybe they dip into college. I'd be curious. Jim Montgomery was also formerly of college before he kind of got his job with Dallas and then the Blues. But none of um, those NHL former NHL names jump off at me like, oh, I want that guy. Like, I'd be interested yeah. in a younger guy like a Steve Ott. Um, yeah. Trying to think of any other former players that are on benches now. I'm drawing but a blank. A, I, I mean, like, a... look at how well Marty St. Louis did going into Montreal the second half of the year. I, I'd love to see, you know, a Savard. I'd love Mark Savard or uh, I don't even know. What's Seidenberg up to these days? Like a former Bruin who knows the system, who knows how – like if Barry Trotz was hired, I don't think I'd watch a Bruins. It'd be the most boring hockey in the world. Exactly. They're just – they'd be so defensive. And – they're already defensive as hell. If you look at kind of like how their strategy will be going in the next year, like they, they wouldn't score any goals if they hired Barry Trotz. I don't know. I, I don't no. think. No. It's kind of hilarious. Um, what, um, do you want to talk a little bit about the abs real quick while I kind of pull up some young assistant coaches? Sure. Um, obviously, Colorado with the sweep of Edmonton. I think Ev was the only one to take Edmonton. Um, yeah. The other three of us saw it playing out as a far more competitive series than it was. Um, I believe Colorado kind of game three blew their doors off. 
Game four went to overtime. Lekkinen scores the winner. Um, sent Who did he send last year into the Stanley Cup? Montreal. Montreal, yes. That's right. Oh, my God, Montreal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Colorado has to be the favorite over Tampa or New York at this point. They look just unbeatable. That offense is fucking scary. Uh, Kale McCarr is making history every series. I think he's one of four defensemen to have – like nine or more points in all three series. And he did it in four games in the first round and four games in the third round. Um, so what they're doing offensively is outstanding. They're doing it without Gerard on the back end, who's been out. Um, McKinnon's on a different level right now. Production from all four lines. They've just been phenomenal. It's Any been... Uh, it's, well, real quick, I'll... Touch on Colorado. I just have some cool stats from McCarr. Um, first off, Kale McCarr, 53 points in 49 playoff games in his career so far. So keep in mind, 53 and 49. That's already more than Doughty, who's obviously won some cups, 51 and 84. Uh, Shea Weber, 42 and 49. And Roman Yossi, 42 and 85. If he gets 10 more points this postseason, he'll pass Subban, Burns, Seabrook, Krug, Housley, and Eric Carlson um, for playoff points. Uh, which Jesus means Christ. When you think about, when you think about what, 22? Yeah, exactly. And when you think about Burns, who was in a cup for San Jose, Brent Seabrook's won, I don't even know how many Stanley Cups at this point. Marie. Corey Krug, all the Bruins playoff success. P.K. Subban, Montreal days, and, and Eric Carlson, who was great with Ottawa. So unbelievable to think about. And then one more stat. There are four instances of defensemen recording at least nine play, nine points in a four-game sweep in Stanley Cup history, playoff history. Kale McCarr already has two of them. Um, yeah, this, that was the stat I just tried to reference, but I messed it up. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, dude's nuts. Dude is absolutely nuts. Also, just me. Maybe it's just me, Colin. These playoffs have sucked. Is that just me? Yeah. No, I agree. Nothing is really that close. It's like, I mean... It just feels different than in years past. And, like, the Bruins, maybe it would be different if the Bruins were still on, but, like, these quick series, it's just, like, it's been unexciting. That first round was cool. We had a lot of game sevens. I mean, like, L.A. Kings in the playoffs, like, meh. Like, there were some teams where it was, like, that made it. And I'm, like, it just put, puts me to bed. Um, I can talk a little bit about potential coaches and names that I recognize on here. Um, you look at the Lightning staff. You, know, you see Jeff Halpern, who – played for the Capitals and the Canadians for a little bit. He's uh, – and you got to think teams would start to maybe look into um, looking at John Cooper's coaching tree. Uh, yeah, Steve Ott, Mike Van Ryan, Blues assistant coaches. Um, Doug Armstrong has touted them both. Um, Marco Sturm is an interesting guy. He's the former Bruin. He's a Kings assistant coach. Former NHL forward has now spent four seasons – with the Kings coaching staff after spending time as a head coach and GM of Germany's national team. So maybe they look at Marco Sturm. Um, I think Jay Leach is an interesting one that you brought up, Colin. I mean, he coaches Providence um, for a while, goes to Seattle for a year. He's someone that they might look at. Um, you know, Ryan Worsowski, I think, had played for the Bruins at the time. He's the Chicago Blackhawks AHL coach. Joel Ward, he's coaching in the AHL as an assistant coach. Maybe they look his way. Um, 
Let me see. There, there's also a woman, the former women's national team player, Jessica Campbell. So, I don't know. Joel Ward is interesting. You look at um, Jay Leach, Marco Sturm. Um, like, there's some young guys out there. Steve Ott, we had talked about Jeff Halpern. So, I don't know. They, they could go a bunch of different ways. There's so many deserving people, though, too, which you got to think about. I mean, I Anybody think Steve Ott would be – I think he's deserving of a job. I don't know if he's the right fit for Boston and kind of the way the game is trending is my only thing with Ott. Like, obviously, grinder, um, physical kind of guy, really didn't score goals much in the NHL, but I don't know what his coaching philosophies are. I think it would be a great fit. Um, Boston, great defensively, as we've talked about. And I think this team could use some grit. Like, you look at this roster, and it's like, yeah, Felino can maybe fight Frederick when he's effective. He's most effective physically. He was a non-factor in that Carolina series. Um, Forbert here and there. I mean, I'd say Clifton and McAvoy are really like the standout guys who are like always willing to mix it up. You saw Coyle get involved in the Carolina series, but I think this team needs some toughness. Someone to say like, look, we need to stand up for ourselves. We got to be physical. I think Carolina was just more physical than them all series long. Yeah, I agree. I think Sivat would be good, and it's kind of amazing. I did not know that Marco Stern was considered like one of these, you know, guys where it's like, oh, he's he's on the rise. I this is my first time even hearing this guy's name. I mean, former Bruin, he he scored like big goals for this team. Like, I think I would maybe like that. I, I didn't even know he was with the, um, with the Kings. But even like you look at uh, even the Florida Panthers coaching staff right now with. Andrew Brunette, you look at some of his assistants, like Derek McKenzie and Tuamo Rutu and some of those guys who have done a great job down there. And even in Toronto, Manny Malholter is a guy. So uh, they got some options. I do think it's kind of crazy, though, um, kind of. I mean, these were guys that we had kind of grown up watching. And and playing with on video games, yeah. So now it's like just thinking like 10 years when like Patrice Bergeron is the head coach somewhere. Yeah, I remember Sturm on uh, NHL Slapshot. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Who do you think that they should go? You you think Steve Ott would be a good one? I like Ott. I mean, I like Leach. Providence had a really good year this year. Um, I like Sturm. He sounds like he's got some experience. Obviously, being a GM and a coach, that's a difficult task. Granted, it's Germany. They're not very good, but... You know, you'd hope that experience was good for him. Four years behind the bench in L.A. I think there are, like you said, plenty of candidates out there. I mean, but guys like Babcock, Trotz, Tortorella, none of those guys excite me anymore. The, the way they coach is just outdated. Their systems are outdated. They just don't play the same hockey the NHL plays anymore. Like the Islanders, we all had them so high this year. And then they just couldn't score goals. And they had fantastic goaltending and a pretty good back end. They just couldn't score. I know. That's nuts. When you think about the year Sorokin had, it was unbelievable. And you think about past years for that team, their offense was deadly. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt Barzell, I mean, do we really believe in Matt Barzell? Like, do do we? As a star? I don't know if I believe in him as, like, a team driver, like a McKinnon or a McDavid or a Stamkos. 
even a Bergeron obviously doesn't have the offensive prowess as those three names, but the defensive side makes up for it. By the way, five Selkies most in history. Uh, it's about time he got one. He should have gotten the last fucking four. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do believe in Barzal as like an offensive superstar, but I don't think that he's a franchise altering superstar. Mm. I feel like too, you have to, um, get the right players around these stars. Yeah. The Bruins had it easy where it's like, yeah, you can play Marchand and Bergeron and Pasternak together if you want. And they're just, the chemistry is there. That's the easiest thing. Like, you could coach them, Colin, and they'd go out and score four goals a game. Or, or... But even then, when they threw that line back together in the Carolina series, it wasn't the same as it once was because they played the majority of the year apart. Right. Do you think that they, do you think Cassidy should not have come back to that? Like, I feel like, it, and, and this is the thing, in the playoffs, nobody has any fucking patience. You saw how many um, goaltending changes there were. Like, Huso played so well in that game one, and then he struggled in game two, and they said, all right, we're going to Bennington. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. Like, if you're Colorado, you won, you won the series. You just swept Edmonton with France. So it's like, do you go back to Kemper? I personally think you do, but, like, he is coming off an injury, and this is just how the playoffs – it's just how it is in the playoffs where no one seems to have any patience and you go, well, there's no patience because you only have seven games. I mean, it's true, but like, can't you like try to let itself figure out? I mean, I go back to the Houston example because uh, that to me was like the most relevant where it's like, yeah, you have such a good game one where you like shut out Minnesota. Then you give up five in game two and then you're done. Like, Like there's just no sort of patience. I mean, even even Boston to an extent, like, we talked about this at length. It felt like Omar didn't have a chance on any goal he gave up in game one and two. And then Swayman comes in, you get the win. Granted, it was at home. Boston's phenomenal at home. Carolina, I believe, did not win a road playoff game uh, in their two series. So I don't know how much that played into it, but I didn't think Swayman was spectacular either, and they stuck with him. I think it all, like, if you're staring down – Oh, two, three, one in the face in games, you know, two, four, whatever. If you're looking at a big deficit, you're probably going to make any change you can to try and stop that from happening. Obviously, Boston, like, it was what, two, two, game five, who we were down, that line goes back together because you don't want to go down three, two at all. In a sense, though, too, it is just so much easier to just have a guy like a star goalie that you just throw out every game. I mean, you like look a Saros, at, such a Sturkin, a Vasilevsky. Exactly, because it's like, then you don't have to play any of those BS games. I said last year on the pod, when they were going, when Vegas was going back between Flurry and Leonard, I hated it. I'm like, just stick with one guy. And even Minnesota this year, too, it was like, they played Flurry. They went into, I believe it was game five, right? I think. And it was like 3-1 St. Louis or something. I could be wrong on this, but it was like 3-1 St. Louis. And they had started Flurry all those games. And then they put Talbot in for that game. And then he gives up such a softy on the first goal to put him down. I was just like, like it just is so much easier in today's league to just have a guy who you just trust 100% and then you just throw them out every game. Because the, the back and forth bullshit is just doesn't work. Well, I think now the way the regular season is trending is you need two guys like that. Like, Boston had so much success this year with Swayman, Olmark, riding a hot hand for a couple weeks and then flipping back. Because, you know, 
you can't start. I mean, very few goalies can start 60, 65 games and then gear up and play possibly 32, 30 playoff games. That's a lot of wear and tear on the body. I mean, you kind of saw that with Shesterkin, right? This is the most starts he had all in his career this year. And then games one, two, and three against Pittsburgh, he was awful. And then he figured out what was going on, and he's been much, much better since. But I do think that there is some truth to the fact that having that second guy that's either equal to or almost as good as your first can be very beneficial. I mean, look at Colorado, right? Kemper goes down, Francois comes in, and they sweep him. Like, to have that kind of security blanket. And also, like, if you're down 4-1, 5-1, second period, there's no sense in playing your number one or your number one, whichever you think that is. Get them out. Get them some rest. And have a guy that you know could maybe keep you in that game. You score a couple goals, things bounce your way, all of a sudden it's 5-3 starting the third period. You got a shot. To me... Like, I completely agree with the points that you just made, and I think they're smart, but I think the regular season and the playoffs are just different. Like, it's Absolutely. just, like, I completely agree. Like, you can't give your goalie 60 starts anymore. It's, it's going to be a split, which I think is, is kind of how it's trending. I mean, you, you see all these, like, good teams with good goaltenders are just, year by year, they're giving their teams, like, less and, or they're giving their star goalies less and less starts, which I think is smart. But you also have to take into, into consideration, too, like once you get into the playoffs, I am of the mindset you have to stick with one guy. Uh, you have to have a little bit more of a leash than two, two or three games uh, if he's been your number one all year is, is my point. Um, I agree with that. But also, I mean, you think about some of the better duos in the league, right? Talbot, Flurry, uh, Olmark, Swayman, um, Huso Bennington this year, like when they're almost uh, even Kemper Francois. I know Kemper played probably a few more games than France, Francois did. You look at those two, and like the numbers are very similar. Granted, these are all good teams, all playoff teams, so they're going to win a lot of games regardless in front of you. But when the numbers are so similar, it's like, eh, why should I have patience? If this guy's struggling, let's try the other one. Yeah, but then it's like, I, I listen. I completely understand your point, and I think it's a valid one. I just think it's just so much easier to just say, "All right, we got Vasilevsky and Brian Elliott, and Vasilevsky, we're gonna give fifty-five, sixty starts, and we'll play him every game. We don't even have to worry about taking him out. You just put put in your guy, and I just think that's just the easier thing to do. You look at Pittsburgh in the years that they won cups. Like, it was – Flurry was there, and then Flurry would be injured or whatever the hell happened to Flurry, and then they would literally go to Matt Murray. And Matt Murray won them two cups, right? Yeah. Two cups, Matt. So it's like – Yeah. Because he knew he was the guy. And you, I don't know if they yeah. – Flurry was in, they would have won those cups. Or if, they had, if they had flipped back and forth, you know. You look at Tampa. They just ride past Lexington. Pittsburgh rode Murray, like – I mean, I see what you're saying, but guys like that don't come around often where you can just ride all year. I mean, there are no other Andre Vasilevskis in this league, really. I think you can split more starts during the regular season, but I think once you get in the playoffs, you have to have a go in with a definitive number one. Ride whoever was hot at the end of the year. If you have a 1A, one, 1B one situation, 
ride who was ever great down the stretch and then go from there and, and have a little patience. Um, <laughs> do you think so? Go ahead. So say you're St. Louis, right? And you're down 3-1 and Bennington started all four games. Do you go to Huso for game five? Depends on how he played, I guess, in the other games. Yeah. Uh, but like you see what he, I'm saying? He, like, there is that thought, like, oh, I have this guy, and my guy right now isn't getting it done. And that's a tough decision as a coach. And I think also some of it has to do, like, in Boston's case, this playoffs, it was like, well, look, we just got dicked on in the first two games. We had no chance to win either of those games. This lineup needs a spark. I'm not going to scratch all 12 forwards, but I can flip goalies and say, like, hey, wake the fuck up because yeah. we don't have games to play with here. We need to win four of the next five now. Right. And I think for the Bruins, making that change gave them energy. Yeah. And I think you can make the case like that to me also, too. Like, you talk about a spark, and to me, like, this Bruins team felt like they had kind of, like, so, and you make a coaching change that will hopefully give you a spark as well. And it's a little bit different because, you know, the GM probably should have been held accountable as well. But, you know, the coach, you change the coach, we'll see. Uh, two quick questions for you uh, as we creep up on an hour. Do you think the Avs should start Kemper or Francois in game one of the Stanley Cup final? I'd start Francois. You would. Yeah. Just, uh, just he, he played what? Lot. Game two, three, and four, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it goes to your point that you just made. Like, you ride the hot hand. He had a shutout in game three. Granted, he gave up five in game four, but it's Edmonton. Edmonton. You're going to give up a lot of goals. They knew that coming in. Um, and Kemper was not – I know he had the injury, but he was not spectacular at all in game one. And he really hasn't been asked to do too much all playoffs. And he hasn't mm-hmm. been great. I mean, I'd say, like – I don't know. Like, if you were Edmonton, though, and you had an option outside of Mike Smith, would you go there? Yeah. Yes. But absolutely, you don't. And I think that's that's the problem with, like, those second-tier contenders, like Edmonton. Um, I'd put Toronto on that list. I'd put Carolina. Carolina on that list. I'd put Boston on that list. I'd put Minnesota St. Louis, like, you don't have that true, you know, number one ace in your pitching staff. You don't have that guy that you are always going to give the ball to in game seven when you need a win. You have, you know, two guys who are capable of getting you a win, but you're not going to feel as great about it when they take the mound as you would a Vasilevsky or a Saros or Shesterkin or, I mean, Jonathan Quick of the past, Henrik Lundqvist of the past. Corey Crawford of the past. You look at teams that have won multiple cups or, or been contenders for, you know, consecutive years in a row. They all had phenomenal goaltending. Pecorine, another example. Uh, Flurry in his prime with Pittsburgh. Like, these are guys that you know are going to fucking ball out when it matters. Yeah. 39-year-old Mike Smith is not going to do that for you. No, not at all. And Edmonton's a goalie away. Like, I agree. I agree. I like their defense. I was down on their defense a lot, but, like, Duncan Keith played really well in the playoffs. Darnell Nurse is still there. Uh, Evan Bouchard t- really kind of t- 
turn into, into somebody. They went out it was and all got, without Clef Bomb, right? Yeah, all without Clef Bomb, and then they they went out and got Brett Kulak, who was okay from Montreal, yeah. like Chris and, Russell you know, led the league Chris in Russell. blocks, right? Yeah, he's just a block shot machine. And to me, I'm with you, Colin. They need a goalie, and I'm sure they'll fi- try to figure it out this offseason. I mean, I don't know. They're going away, though. They get a goalie, watch it out. They, they could make their own little Tampa dynasty, I think. Absolutely. And, I know we're pretty much at an hour here, but a uh, quick question for you. Do you, if you're Edmonton or any other team, are you interested in bringing a Vander Kane back? Oh, Absolutely. Edmonton asked to bring Evander Kane back. He fit like a glove with Connor McDavid and that team. And they did a great job of just bringing in guys who just fit in so well. And I don't, yeah, when they had Tippett as the, Zach Hyman. I mean, that to me, he was unbelievable. You look at, I've mentioned Duncan Keith, who was fantastic. And so they just brought in all the right players and give Ken Holland a lot of credit. Um, formerly of the Detroit Red Wings, give him a lot of credit with what he did because, um, you know, it probably wasn't an easy decision to go say, all right, I'm going to bring in a guy like Evander Kane. I'm going to dish out $6 million to Zach Hyman. Imagine the Bruins, instead of signing Taylor Hall to $6 million, they went out and they traded for Zach Hyman from Toronto. Imagine- well, I think Hyman is, like, so worth the $6 million, and yeah. Toronto just couldn't afford that. Right, but the Bruins could have tra- – if they decided not to keep Hall last off season, they could have traded for Hyman and then locked him up. Well, I know, but what- I, it's obviously shoulda, coulda, woulda, but like Hall last year was very impressive in the playoffs. He had a good end to the regular season. He just didn't look like the same guy this year. He was timid with the puck. He didn't use his legs to his advantage. He's still wicked fucking fast, and, and I feel like he just doesn't use that as much as he should. How do you make Taylor Hall turn into his former self, his former MVP self? In my opinion, he's got to play with Pasternak and, you know, fucking – I'd pay David Krejci $10 million to come back for a year. Yeah. I would pay him $10 million. I don't think it's feasible with the cap, but, I mean, <laughs> that line I would put up against any other first line. In the league, that Krejci and Hall were great together, and Krejci and Pasternak have had a ton of success together. I think that line would be better than whatever you put with Bergeron and Marchand. Yeah, and and that's the thing with the Bergeron and Marchand line. You can put whoever the fuck you want on that as that third guy. Yeah, go, go spend someone for two million dollars and and say, all right, go play with these two guys. Maybe some. Take a flyer on some young player who's a free agent, like less than twenty-five, and say, "All right, let's. I'll give you two million dollars to play on this top line, and we can talk contract extension in the offseason. Like, I mean, think about on... even like a guy like fucking JT Comfer oh, would be right great man. on that line. Alex Newhook would be great on that line. Fucking uh, and like. Filipino would be great on that line. All these young guys that are coming out in these playoffs. Anthony Duclair, who we could have had multiple times, dude's a 30 goal scorer every single year. Imagine him getting the puck from Bergeron and Marchand. He scored 50. And I know, lastly, before we wrap, too, I want to hear are the Bruins screwed for next year? Yes or no? 
I'm seriously concerned about the future if I'm a Bruins fan right now because you look at the system like guys like, um, oh my God, uh, Stanika has not worked out. Uh, Senshinen has not worked out. DeBrusque, for the most part, like I imagine he still wants to get traded this offseason. That hasn't worked out. Um, All these young guys that we brought in, first-round pick, second-round pick, have really not panned out at all. I know you have Lysel, who looks really, really good wherever he plays. I think he's going to be a huge part of the future for Boston. But outside of that, like, you have McAvoy, you have Lindholm. And then you look down the roster, it's like, well, Pasternak doesn't come back. This is an aging core. You're left with, what, a 37-year-old Bergeron, 33-year-old Marchand, who's going to miss some time to begin the year. Coyle, who's inching into his 30s. Craig Smith's 35. Um, like this is an aging team and, and if they don't figure out a way to get younger uh, quickly and, and cost effectively, I, I don't see how the Bruins could be viewed as, you know, one of those top tier contenders in the Atlantic division um, and the Eastern conference for that matter in the next two to three years, because like as good as Bergeron and Marchand are playing right now, that won't last forever. Hall is clearly not the same player he was. Pasternak goes, and, and you lose, in my opinion, like one of those few guys in the NHL that can score a hat trick every single night. He just has that kind of offensive ability, and those guys are hard to come by. So I'm concerned as a Bruins fan. You? Yeah, and I am as well because it's a little bit different than a Toronto situation where yeah, you dish out all this money. Bruins to, haven't dished out all that money to star players, though. They've done it to guys like Coyle and Hall, and even Smith and Felino are making upwards of three, three and a half. Like, oh. it's just not money well spent. Well, that's the problem, and that and that was to my point. Toronto has spent heavy money on their young top talent, where it's like, yeah, Nylander, Marner, and Matthews, like clearly are going to get a ton of money. Paris and you invest in Riley and they went and they spent money on guys who've proven success and also have grown up within the organization. Boston's dishing out money to old veterans who are past their prime. And you look at it too. And it's like, yeah, I love the win home fit, but you paid him now a lot of money. You have a lot of money in McAvoy. You have a lot of money in Martian. You have a lot of money in Pos- like. And we don't even know if Pasternak's staying. So it's like now you're investing a lot of money in Grizzlick, a lot of money in Carlo. And the list goes on and on. That I mean, I will me- say this. Like, I loved Zaboral before the injury this year. And yeah. I love Clifton. I know Clifton has his ups and downs, but in games that matter, he always shows up. You know he's on the ice. He's finishing every check. He's in every scrum. He's starting to feel more comfortable and confident offensively. He gets involved. He joins the rush. I like him a lot. I think he's a building block on the back end. I mean, to me, like, as much as I love Grizzlick, these playoffs and his playoff career is abysmal. Uh, He has, like, what, one goal, three assists in 30 games in the playoffs. Like, yeah, he's effective during the regular season. But this is a guy that when Tory Krug left, we're like, that's fine. We have a Tory Krug. His name is Matt Grizzlick. And he has just not lived up to that potential at all. Um, I love McAvoy. I love Lindholm. And I think outside of that. Grizzly? You moved Grizzly because you were a defenseman. 
Grizzlick is expendable to me. Carlo's expendable. Forbert's expendable. Uh, but then, and then you look to the offensive side. Like, I love Charlie Coyle, but at five million, they gotta trade him. They gotta trade him. You nobody wants money. him. That's the That's thing. Something. You invest in these older guys or guys that are aging. I still think Coyle. I think Coyle can be worth that money when they put him in the right place. Like as a third line center, yes, five million is an overpay, but I'd put him in the top five of third line centers in the NHL for what well, he does, two hundred feet. So yeah, you're overpaying a little bit, but you're getting probably more out of Coyle than you ever would from a guy at three and a half. So I'm willing to eat the extra 1.5 to get that, you know, edge in terms of third line. Um, but this team and desperately needs a second line center that's capable of scoring 60 to 80 points. Like imagine if this team had Kadri. <laughs> as much as I hate him, uh, but they'd be phenomenal. Yeah. And I think, too, this is what Don Sweeney is going to be tasked with. You have to bring in players who fit extremely well. We talked about Edmonton and their fits. You even look at the LA Kings and, and what they were able to do. Arvidsson. Played so well for them in the playoffs. Trevor Moore turned into like their leading scorer. They brought him in from Toronto. You mentioned Victor Arvidsson, who was great when he was healthy. You bring in players who just get the job done and just fit so well together. They, well, they made Arvidsson, Deneau, and um, Moore a line, and they were, like, the best line. I know Arvidsson didn't play in the playoffs. They played Grunstrom on that line. But you just found players. You just brought in players who just fit well together. And the coach, Tom McCollum, he did a nice job of, of getting them on the same page, which is something that, that, that the next coach is going to have to do. With whoever brings whoever Don brings in, the coach is going to have to do a good job of making lines and getting players – playing with the right people because that to me was something that Bruce Cassidy struggled with because he struggled to find the lines that I think, in my opinion, worked lately. You talked about it. It took, it took him 70 games to figure out the fourth line was good together. Yeah. The, 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 the but I think that also has to do with, like, Felino missed a lot of time during the regular season. Noshik was kind of like a Swiss Army knife. I thought he was fucking great. The, like, the, talk about snake bit. And that guy should have had 15 goals in his last 20 games, including the playoffs. He had a number of golden opportunities just couldn't get the puck to go in. Um, but, you know, you look at teams like L.A., um, younger teams like Toronto, even even Colorado to a certain extent, like all these – Ottawa, yeah. All these teams are – they have money to go out and, you know, overpay a little bit for a Philip Deneau uh, or uh, a John Tavares, which I think was an overpay. Um but it's because they have all this homegrown talent, and Boston lacks that severely. So they're stuck plugging a million little holes where other teams like L.A. say, all right, we need a line. Let's find three guys we really like and put them together. It's, it, it may cost you a little bit, but like, when was the last time they signed a defenseman? They've drafted all of their defensemen. Like Toronto, they've drafted Matthews, Marner, Nylander, your best three players, Riley, your best defenseman. Lidgren on the back end, like they've brought Campbell, all these guys that they have, have all been products of draft or, you know, small trades before these guys found themselves mm -hmm. in the league. Boston really doesn't have any of that. You look at like, I brought it up earlier, Rick Nash, Lee Stefaniak, 
Riley Nash, um, like Achari, Achari leaves and goes and scores twenty goals. Like guys like this, you just you can't win Stanley Cups when your bottom six is just a bunch of bottom three forwards. And you looked at the cup winning team. The bottom six was was a lot of character, and they had a lot of heart, and they contributed. Yeah, and and in twenty nineteen, uh, Corrali, Achari, and Wagner—that was maybe their best line. And remember the big goal after big goal that Sean Corrali scored in the playoffs. Yeah, you're tr- you're trying to tell me that you couldn't pay Sean Corrali two point five million dollars for four years because you wanted Nick Foligno for two years at three? Really? Mm-hmm. Corrali's yeah. fucking eight years younger. And, and, and again, sure. like you said, he, sh- he he's always showed up in the big moments. It's frustrating. It, it's just puzzling. It's puzzling, and that and that's on Don because Don could have kept these guys, and he didn't. Yeah, to me, Don and, Don's the bigger issue. And, and honestly, part of me said things like, "Last trade deadline, he was like, oh, all right, I have this first round pick that I can move.'" What confidence does that guy have in his ability to draft? Probably none. I bet Neely was like, all right, trade the first-round pick. Trade. Yeah, for Kasha or Nick Ritchie? I mean, come on. They love these Anaheim Duck players, though. It's quite, it's quite funny. We'll Don, see. It's and, a long Don and the Anaheim GM must uh, fucking get tea or something together. <laughs> first David Backus, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's oh, my God. Tiring. It's getting tiring. They got. They got to be better. They got to be better next year. I think. I honestly think they'll be all right. I think they'll bring in a hopefully a good coach again. It, I guess it's contingent on who the coach is that they bring in. Because I think it's contingent probably, on that and like health wise, Grizzly's going to miss some time. McAvoy's going to miss some time. Marshan's going to miss some time. If you can make it through those first two months without digging yourself a gigantic hole, I think this core still has a couple runs left. But outside of that, I, I agree. I, I'm concerned about the future. But we should wrap. We're at a minute. An hour and fifteen. Yeah. Long Good card. Discussion. Yeah. 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 Plenty of Bruins talk. If you're a Bruins fan, you'll you'll certainly love this episode. We'll shout out our friend CT real quick. Fuck the Flyers. We'll never talk about them on this podcast. Unless he comes on the podcast. Unless he comes on. <laughs> Which would be quite the scene. Quite a scene. We might get uh we might get censored by YouTube for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. To our uh, fellow co-hosts, Newman and Dan, we miss you guys today. Um, You want to hear from them, go check out the Gridiron. I believe they did it with Evan on Tuesday. That's out, so go check that out. Um, Check us out on YouTube. I don't know what the YouTube is. Yep, check us out there. Um, Yep, Keep, uh, keep tuning in. Absolutely. Later. See ya. Put your tears away. Ain't no fear today. You can drive off towards that summertime sunset. It's what you ain't done yet. Take the keys, leave the regrets. Write your letters, place your bets. I'll be the one who accepts. You don't